welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Amen. Well, hey, hope you're doing well. We are in a series right now on God's love, and I, I pray that this has been as impactful for you as it has been for me. And uh, in this season, I've been praying not only for the people in this room, but I've also been praying for the kids of our church because they are every bit as much a part of this church. And so I've been praying that they would be a part of this too. And and, and I want them to get in on this too. And so this past week, I was just so encouraged. Uh, one night as Ansley and I were praying for our girls, uh, as we do most nights, uh, we, you know, we just laid hands on them and just invited the Lord to minister to them and just pray that the Lord would speak to us and he'd speak to them. And, and as, as we did, at one moment, my youngest daughter, Elizabeth, who is five, she spoke up and she said, every time you guys pray for me, I have the same thought. And I said, well, honey, what is it? And she said, I see Jesus in the center and I see hearts all around him and they're blinking And I said, honey, do you know what that means? And she says, no. I said, God is telling you that he loves you so much. And that brought the biggest smile to her face. It just filled her with joy. That just made her nigh. And so I was just so thankful that even our kids are getting in on this. And so every time we pray, that's been the experience of both of my daughters in this time. And so I just pray that would spread, that God's love would just go forth and just spread through our lives and even through our families and even in our kids. They're every bit as part of this journey with us. So I just wanted to share that with you just to encourage you. And that, that encouraged me. Um, but we're, we're in this series again on God's love. And I want to talk today about being awakened to God's love. And we're looking at a moment in the life of a man named Jacob in the Old Testament, and he's an important figure. And actually, his story takes up roughly half of the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible. So that tells you that he is a significant figure in uh, biblical history. But what sometimes happens is we can idealize these biblical figures, right? We can think, oh, they probably had it all together, and oh my goodness. And we kind of, uh, we compare their highlights to our lowlights, right? And actually, when you look at the space between, you'll see that this, this was a colorful character, actually, uh, to put it mildly. And actually, he, he was an incredibly broken man, especially if you look at the first half of his life. Uh, and in case you don't know the story, I'll give just a little backdrop uh, of this passage that we're going to look at. So Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, Father Abraham. Remember him? The kind of the godfather of faith. Uh, and, and God gave Abraham this amazing promise, and that was passed down to his son Isaac, uh, the second patriarch who married Rebekah. And so Isaac and Rebekah, those are Jacob's uh, parents, and, and they're important people in the Bible. But although that's the case, what you have to know is that this was like a, a tremendously dysfunctional family, which should give some of us hope. And uh, one of the things I just love about the Bible, it is so honest, it doesn't sugarcoat things. It just kind of tells things as they are. And, and that's what we see uh, in, in this story. So, so Jacob, his, his parents were, were Isaac and, and Rebekah. He had a twin brother named Esau. Maybe you heard of Jacob and Esau. And, and these two were going at it actually in the womb. That, and so there's like a lifelong conflict uh, that they have with each other. Uh, but what's amazing is that even when Jacob was in the womb, God spoke his love over him. But it's like Jacob could never receive it. It's like he could never truly believe it. And, and so he's always like grasping to try, try to get it. And his name actually literally means one who grasps. 
And it's like he's always trying to grasp for things and make it happen. It's like he couldn't trust God. And, and so we see this pattern of his life of striving and of manipulation and of deception. So for example, one day his brother Esau has been out hunting all day. He is just exhausted. He is famished. And, and, and Jacob has been cooking this amazing stew. And so Esau comes and he smells and like, oh my goodness. He says, that, that is so amazing. Would, would you give me some of this stew? He says, I'm, I'm about ready to die. And, 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 and Jacob says, sure, on one condition. You sell me your birthright, which in that culture was a really really big deal. Now, this is like he's inheriting everything as the oldest son. Esau was the oldest son. And so Jacob says, sure, I'll, I'll give you some stew if you sell me your birthright. Well, Esau, amazingly, surprisingly, says yes, which is just one of the, one of the, one of the uh, just kind of the, the wildest things. But he, he says yes, and, and he just kind of despises his birthright. And, and so, again, we see here, Jacob, he kind of took advantage of his brother in this state of vulnerability, uh, and, and another key moment was later when, when their father Isaac's health was declining and, and he thought he was dying. And so before he died, he wanted to make sure that he passed on his father's blessing uh, to his oldest son. And, and, and so when, when, when Isaac, um, uh, excuse me, Jacob gets wind of this, he, he and his mom together kind of hatch this, this plan, this scheme. And what they do is he dresses up when Esau goes out to hunt, he dresses up in his brother's clothing so he will feel and, cause his father's uh, vision has gone at this point. And so when he, when his father feels his clothing and smells his clothing, he will smell and feel like Esau. And so he does kind of like this Grammy award winning performance and, and he pretends to be his brother Esau. He comes in and presents this meal to his father and his father says, Oh yes, my son Esau, are you Esau? He says, Oh yeah, I'm Esau. And I'm I'm going to give you my blessing. And so, so Isaac gives his blessing to Jacob, but it's under uh, this whole uh, thing of deception. And, 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 and so we just see that, that Jacob, he's just this striver. He's, he's, he's grasping. He, he doesn't believe God's love. And, and, and he's, just a, a broken, uh, he's just a broken man. And so as you can imagine, when Esau finds out what Jacob did, things, things go down. I mean, the whole family blows up and he, he vows that he is going to kill his brother Jacob when his father dies. So this is like a Godfather movie. You know, when, when Don Corleone dies, like, hey, I'm going after my brother. It's like one of these kind of deals. And, and, uh, it just kind of spins out from there. And, and so Jacob and his mom, they, 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 they kind of hatch a scheme to get him out of Dodge. And Rebecca, uh, comes to, uh, her husband Isaac and says, you know what? Uh, we really should find a wife for our son Jacob, but not from one of the ladies around here. We should, we should find him a good woman from where I come from, where I grew up. And so, so Isaac says, okay, that's, that's a good idea. So sends Jacob on this mission, which thereby gets him out of harm's way, away from Esau. And so he's now embarking on this journey. He's alone. He's, he's actually running for his life. He knows his brother wants to kill him. Uh, he is afraid. Uh, and, and that is really where we pick up this story. Jacob is on the run. So we're looking at Genesis chapter 28. We're starting in verse 10. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. You can follow along on the screens. Uh, But this is just an amazing passage. And there is an invitation from God for us in uh, this story. And uh, we just read this a moment ago, just so this is fresh for us. Let me just read this again briefly. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. 
there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, there are three main points that I want to draw from this passage. And the first is God's astounding love. That's the first thing we see here is God's astounding love. How do we see this? Well, we see this really in, in three ways. And, and the first is take notice here that, that, that God takes the initiative in this story. God takes all the initiative in this story. Now, the approach to spirituality in our culture puts all the emphasis on our search for God, our attempt to find God, to get to God, to connect with God. It's actually an age-old approach. So if you look at ancient pagan religion, for example, uh, building the Tower of Babel, what that was was an attempt by human beings to try to get to God on their own effort, right? That's what that was. And we see temples and things like that. They're trying to make their own way into heaven. Uh, we see this in ancient religion, and it's a common repro- approach. But the great story of the Bible is not about our search for God. It is about God's search for us. That is the story of the Bible. And that's what we see here. Jacob is on the run. He is not looking for God, but God is looking for him. And so in verse 12, God shows up. God comes to him. Now, in order to grasp the immensity of the love on display here, just contrast this with the story of the prodigal son. You may recall the story. So there's a son, he has a wealthy father, and he says, uh, Dad, even though you're still alive, I want half uh, my, my cut of the inheritance, which is another way of saying, I wish you were dead. He takes all that wealth that he inherits. He goes, squanders that on just reckless living, just throws it away. He just, he just, he just basically ruins his own life. He brings all this chaos and detriment to his family. But at some point when he's actually feeding pigs and he's actually eating their food because he's so down and out, he has one of those moments. He comes to his senses and he says, you know what? I'm going to make my way back to my father's house. And he probably would never receive me, but maybe he'd at least take me back as a servant. So he's on this approach back to his father's house. His father sees him from a distance, starts running toward him and embraces him. He kisses him. He enfolds him with his love. But but notice, we don't even see any of that in this story. Uh, we, we, We don't see, you know, Jacob repenting here. He's not, you know, turning around in repentance and coming after the father. But nonetheless, God is coming after him. It's just this amazing love. And I think we just have to pause for a moment and kind of let that sink in just to ponder this astounding love. Here's Jacob again. He, he's on the run, running for his life. Yet here comes God, running after him. Jacob's not looking for God, but God is looking for him. And so God comes to Jacob in, in a dream. And in this dream, he sees a stairway. Some translations say ladder. Some say ramp. Uh, it's a hard word to translate it. And by the way, Led Zeppelin borrowed from this story for their famous song, Stairway to Heaven. And so just by the way, even if you're like a totally secular person here today, you should read the Bible. 
for many reasons, many reasons, but for one, not only will you not, if you don't read it, you won't simply won't understand all kinds of references in literature, but you won't even understand rock music. So just saying, just saying, word to the wise. So, so the point is that this ladder or, or this stairway, is a, it's a point of connection between heaven uh, and, and earth. It says in verse 12, he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And it says that he saw angels ascending and, and descending on this stairway. And above it, it says, stands the Lord. And then in this dream, God, God speaks to him. It's just, it's a powerful moment. And we'll come back to that. But what I want you to see right here is, is that this ladder or this stairway, what this is, this is heaven coming to earth. This is God coming to Jacob, not the other way around. And we see here just the sheer mercy of God in this. Again, Jacob's not trying to reach out to God. He's not looking for God, but God reaches out to him. That God is seeking him, even when he's not seeking. That Jacob isn't seeking God. So God sends this ladder down. And again, that's, this is the great story. Though. God is the one who seeks us. And, and so, the, so the first way we see God's astounding love in the story is that God takes the initiative. He takes the initiative but the second way we see God's astounding love here is not just the fact that God comes to Jacob. It's actually in how he comes to Jacob. So, so think about this. Think, think about how God comes to him. And what we see here is that he comes with undeserved mercy. So think about how he comes here. Think about what God doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, you know, because again, this is God appearing to Jacob in a dream. And, and, and what he doesn't say, he doesn't say, hey, let me tell you about all the ways you've royally messed up your life. He doesn't say, you know, let's go over this chapter and verse, all the ways, all the times you've blown. That's not what God does. Instead, and this is just unbelievable, God comes to him with the undeserved mercy and grace. It is just so astounding and profound. And I think this passage is meant to fill us with awe at the mercy of God, the love of God, because that is who he is. And think about this again. Jacob, he's a scoundrel. He, he I mean, he is, I mean, he, he, he deserves to die in that desert for what he's done. He's ruined his brother's life. He's ruined his family. Uh, he's been selfish. He's trampled on the grace and mercy of God. He's not running to fix his problems. He's running from his problems. Yet God comes to him with this undeserved mercy and love. That, that's the second way we see this here. God's love. But the third facet of God, just astounding love that we see in the story is we see also here God's unconditional love. Now, based on what we read in Scripture up to this point, Jacob has, has never really listened to God at any point in his life. Rather, he's telling God what to do. And, and yet God comes to him, and, and he really he speaks to him, and he gives him an amazing promise. And so in verse 13, he says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and then he goes on, he tells him he's going to have a large family and it's going to spread out in, in all directions. And he goes on in verses 14 and 15, he says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. A couple of things to notice about this. First of all, Jacob is, is single at this point. He's probably 40 years old, but he's still single. So this is amazing. He's got this uh, promise that he's going to have descendants that will kind of fill the land and, and spread out. And, and But the second, the most significant thing here is notice that this promise is completely unconditional. There's no, you know, if you do this, 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 and this, then I'll do this. No, it's no conditions. It's just an unconditional promise. God's 
pledge of his faithful love. Completely unconditional. And, and, and think about this. Again, Jacob, I mean, so far he's been like nothing but trouble. I mean, think of this guy's life. Again, he's ruined his brother's life. He's blown up his family. Yet God not only gives him a promise, he says, now the script is changing because now you, you, before this, he's been a blessing to no one. But now he says, you will be a blessing to the nations. I mean, think about just the scandalous grace and love on display here. Unbelievable. No conditions. Unconditional love. So, So the first thing we see in this story is God's astounding love. God takes the initiative he, he lavishes Jacob with, with, with undeserved mercy and, and he gives him unconditional love. And so what I hope you see is, is that the God of, uh, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is a God who loves human beings. He, he just does. And, and he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross to, to prove that love and to save us so that we could come into a relationship, a real relationship with him. And he just, he just loves us. He loves you so much. So much. And so the good news of the gospel is that God has come to meet us today. And that's possible because of what Jesus did. As we read in John chapter 1, uh, Jesus actually kind of refers to this passage here. And what this is, this is actually a prefiguring of Jesus. And, and when, what Jesus says in his conversation with Nathaniel, Nathaniel is he says, basically, you haven't seen anything yet. You, you'll see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, referring to himself. And so what he's saying is, is I'm the ladder. I'm the way. I'm it. I'm the bridge. And so God is seeking us today. He's seeking you. He's, he's seeking me. And, 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 and our sins cannot separate us from the love of God. And so he's reaching out. So no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, God is reaching. He's coming to you. He's coming to everyone here today. He loves us so much. He loves us so much. So he comes to us with this astounding love. This astounding love. So that's the first thing we see in the story. But the second thing we see in the story is that Jacob, in this encounter, Jacob is awakened to the presence and love of God. He is awakened. Now notice in in verse 11, it it says when he reached a a certain place. Notice that phrase. Just a certain place. In other words, no place in particular, just a nameless place. Uh, it feels insignificant, just to stop along the way, just an ordinary place. It seems like nothing going on here, right? And not only does he find himself in a place that seems utterly insignificant, he also finds himself between a rock and a hard place. Both, both literally and metaphorically, right? I mean, his, a stone is his pillow, And what a metaphor for his life. He is between a rock and a hard place. He's running for his life. He's alone. He's probably filled, I mean, think what he's probably, he's probably filled with shame and just self-hatred. I mean, who knows what, you know, all the stuff he's carrying with him. But then it says when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head. Now that's not, again, that's not the best pillow. But he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. And, and when it says he laid down to sleep, that, well, that's literal. He, that really happened. But also there's a double meaning because part of what we're, we're being told here is that he was also in this moment, he was asleep spiritually. And actually his entire life up to this point, he was sort of on just kind of sleepwalking through life. He was spiritually asleep. And that is so easy to do just to be on autopilot, just to kind of sleepwalk through life. But in his mercy, God comes to him in a dream and through this dream, Jacob is awakened to a reality that is actually more real than how he is conceiving of his waking life. Isn't that fascinating? 
It is so easy to go through life thinking, this is what's real. I'm alone. Or here's what's real. I, uh, this situation is hopeless or or I'll never change, or, or God has forsaken me, or maybe God has forgotten about me, or maybe God doesn't love me. It's so real to go through life thinking that that is reality. But you see, in this moment, God comes to Jacob, and he's saying, no, that is actually a bad dream. And I'm waking you up now to my dream for your life, and my dream is actually more real than the bad dream that you think you've been living. And here's what God says to him. Again, Jacob, he thinks he's alone. He's, he thinks what's real is fear, and it's on me to make things happen. But God says in verse 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. Now, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God's telling him, I'm with you. I am for you. And in this moment, Jacob is awakened to God's presence and love. And then in verse 16, he exclaims, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. And how often are we in that position? You see, God was already there. He just, he didn't realize it. He wasn't aware of it. God is with us. So he goes on in verse 17 to declare, he says, how awesome is this place? He says, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And so again, Jacob, in this moment, he is awakened to the presence and love of God. And I believe that this is God's invitation for us today to, to really become awake to his presence with us, to become awake to his love for us, knowing that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, that that is what's real, that that is what's true. And, and so my prayer for all of us is that we would be awake to that reality, that that is really what's really real about our lives, that God is with us, that he is for us, he loves us with an unconditional love. Surely the Lord is in this place. Now, one of the things we see in the story is that God is present with us as he was with Jacob in places we often don't expect him. So for example, circumstances that, that seem ordinary, often we don't expect God to meet us in those places or, or in moments that seem insignificant or in, in situations that seem fearful or, or, or desperate or, or hopeless. And so often we're not aware of God in those moments. But what we see here is that it is precisely in those moments God is actually with us, with his mercy and his love. I want to read you a quote from Thomas Merton, who is one of the great spiritual writers. And this is from his book, New Seeds of Contemplation. It's a classic work. And he says this, Every moment of every event of every person's life plants something in his soul. For just as the wind carries thousands of seeds, so each moment brings with it germs of spiritual life. Most of these seeds are lost because we are not prepared to receive them. The love of God, however, seeks us in every situation and seeks our good. Isn't that a great quote? You see, God is with us and he is coming to us with his presence and his love in every situation. So the question is, are we aware of that? Are you aware of that today? That God is really with you, that he really loves you, that he is really for you. Jacob, in this moment, he is awakened to that reality. There's a great line by a poet named Elizabeth Barrett Browning where she says, earth is crammed with heaven. 
You see, God, God is here. He, he, he's not just up there. He's actually here. He's in this room right now, and he's filled the earth with his love, with his glory. Uh, the problem is, is that we often miss it. Often we're not aware of that. And so, so let me just ask for a moment, what makes us sort of groggy? What makes us asleep to that reality? Because that, again, that's what's really real. That's what's most true about your life. God is with you. He is for you. He loves you. So, so what makes us sort of asleep and to miss that? And I think the most obvious thing for us in our culture is busyness, right? Especially here in Southern California. It's like our schedules are so packed. We're running from one place to the next. We're like multitasking. We're like, I don't know, we're like washing dishes, driving a car, and like ordering pizza at the same time. It's like the craziest thing. Like we're just like so, <laughs> that was a fun image, right? <laughs> so it's just like, we're, we're just so just busy. Um, and, uh, and so in light of that, we have just little awareness, I fear, of God's presence with us. And by the way, I think one of the reasons God sometimes comes to us in dreams is that is the only time he can get origin edgewise, right? It's like the only time we slow down enough is like when we're unconscious. And so it's like, okay, I will come to you in a dream because I can't get awarded edgewise any other way, right? And so he'll do it. He'll do whatever he has to do. That's what he did with Jacob. Okay, you're not seeking me. And okay, I'm just, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to your neighborhood. And he's coming to your neighborhood. And he's coming to my neighborhood. But you see, sometimes that busyness is what blocks us. It's like puts these, just these blinders up to his reality. Uh, on this topic, uh, Dallas Willard has a great line. He used to say, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Uh, our Bishop Todd, he like, kind of like, he like, like wrote that on a piece of paper, like taped it to his Bible. So he saw it every day. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Cause that is the great enemy of the spiritual life. That is the great enemy. Busyness and hurry is a great enemy to your awareness of God, which is more important than anything else. John 15, our kind of our theme verse as here as a church is that we would abide in him. We would stay close to him. And so if we're just so frantically busy all the time, that will get in the way of that. So I, I don't want to just kind of like leave, leave us with, with the encouragement. I want to give us maybe just a few practical things with this. Cause I think, I know this is such a common struggle. So, so what might be something we can do or some things we can do to, to actually take a step forward with this? Uh, and the first thing is, is actually to say no more often. <laughs> to learn to say no more often. This is something that's been really, really hard for me to learn. Uh, the C is whenever you say yes to something, something else always takes a hit. And sometimes we forget that. It's almost like we have this infinite life. We don't have an infinite life. You are a finite human being. You are a finite human being and something's going to give. And so often what takes the hit is our relationship with the God, right? So often that's what takes it. So I think we need to learn how to say no more often. And, and I don't know what the answer is for you, but the question is, what is God calling you to say no to so that you can have more space in your life for him? That's a wonderful question to, to maybe sit with this week. But a second encouragement, a second idea is, is actually to be more reflective as you go throughout your day. And so sometimes we're just, again, we're just so, we're just doing from one thing to the next, but like maybe amidst your life, what if you just maybe asked a question, God, maybe as I'm at the gym, God, how, how are you coming to me in this moment? Or you maybe go get a coffee, God, God, how are you with me in this moment? Or maybe your work, God, how is your love and your presence with me? How are you coming to me in this moment? God can come to us in all kinds of ways and come to us through other people, through circumstances, but, but God, how are you coming to me in this moment? So I think the second encouragement is just to be a bit more reflective about our lives. I think that is so important. A uh, third thing I'll, I'll share is, uh, I once read a book by a pastor, and he shared how uh, he schedules into his life um, what he calls five-minute vacations. <laughs> 
And so he has a busy life. And so he will periodically, he will just throughout the day, he will set a timer for five minutes on his phone and he'll tell this administrator, hold calls. He'll mute his email. And I'm just, he says, I'm just going to take five minutes. I'm going to sit in my chair and I'm just going to allow myself to be aware of the presence of God. I'm just going to be still and know that he is God. I'm just going to calm down and just slow down and just allow myself to be aware of God's presence with me. And he said, it was just so transformational for him. And sometimes I do that. I just, I got to take five. I'm just, I'm going to take five minutes just to be with God. And so that's something you might want to try uh, even this week. So those are just a few uh, ideas, encouragements uh, in this to deal with busyness. There's so many things here. Um, maybe don't have time for all of them. I'll share another one. And, and I think a second issue that I think can, can get in the way of being aware of God and how he's coming to us is our expectations. Our expectations. So for example, uh, sometimes we can assume that if God were to come to me, if God were to really be especially present to me, like the, it, would, it would look like thus and so. It would look like this, 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 and this. And we don't sometimes don't have an imagination for how creative God can be and how he comes to us. Uh, and, and so I'll just share a story to illustrate. So in the past couple months, God has been like totally taking me by surprise. And he's been coming to me in the most like seemingly mundane, insignificant moments. And in light of that, I've been, it's taken me, it took me a, a few weeks to actually like get, get, the, get the picture. <laughs> like I'm in the shower. I feel like I just got a word from God, but, but I'm in the shower. Like, how could that be? I'm in the shower, you know? Or, or one, 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 one evening, I, I sat down with a bag of chips in front of the TV, and I felt like God said to me something very significant. And I'm like, wow, that really sounds like God. But I'm here with a bag of chips in front of the TV, so how could that be God? I'm thinking, I don't, so I'm just like, you know, but eventually, and so it's so funny, then, then uh, you know, later that weekend, you know, I, I kind of have a routine, and I don't know if you have anything like this, so I kind of have, I'm, I'm a creature of habit, and, and so, you know, I like to, when I really spend time with God, I like to, I confess my sins to God, and then I turn on worship music, and I worship God, and then I, I read the Bible, and I pray, and I pray for everything on my prayer list, and, and then after I've kind of done everything, then I feel like, okay, now I'm finally ready to listen to you, God. So then, okay, God, and sometimes I say, as the young Samuel said, prophet Samuel, I said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And one, one time in the season, I felt like I heard him say, I've been speaking to you. <laughs> like, oh, okay. It's like McFly, you know. Anybody home? And uh, so I finally got it. Like, oh, I need to kind of broaden my horizons for God can come to me at any time, at any place, in any way he, he so desires. And I just need to be wide open to him because that's all I want is, is more of him. And, and so that's just encouragement to really not limit God with your expectations of how he can come to you. He may come to you in a dream. He may come to you through somebody at work. He may, he can come to you in all sorts of different ways in all sorts of different times. Um, uh, some some other uh, things I think they can get away. I think one issue is, uh, uh, as a pastor, I know a lot of people struggle with, is, is just apathy. And I, I've been in seasons like that. We just kind of feel like, ah, uh, meh, just, just kind of like, feels just like blah. And you just like, maybe you've got some hurt. Maybe you're just, I don't know. You don't know why. But you just have apathy. And I think one of the things you can do if that's where you find yourself is to pray. Because uh, we can't like pull ourselves out to pray. God, would you just kind of ignite my heart afresh? Would you just give me a fresh passion and hunger for you, God? And he loves to answer that prayer. And, and, and he's answered that prayer in my life time and time again. And so that's just an encouragement with that. Sometimes uh, it's impatience. And, you know, God maybe has us in a season of waiting. But we're like, okay, I don't like to wait. So I'm going to kind of find a way out of here and find my own kind of way out of here. But God's like, no, like, actually, if you want to be aware of what he's up to, you're actually going to have to sit with him. And one of the verses that's meant a lot to me is it says, in returning and rest, and I 
get this a little bit slightly wrong, and turning, returning and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength. So sometimes actually the way to tune into what God's doing is just to just, just be quiet, be still before him, and, and, and wait with him, and in that you'll find what he's doing in, in those times. Um, so many things, um, so many things. I think maybe I'll, I'll move on from there, but, um, all that to say that there are different things that can challenge us and, and, and that can uh, get in the way of our awareness of God's presence and his love with us. And so the invitation is whatever that is to just ask God, what is that next step to press into him? That, that's just the encouragement uh, through this. But what we've seen is that God is coming to us in all kinds of different circumstances and, 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 and all kinds of different ways, but that he is the one, he, he's put, bringing the ladder down to you. He's bringing the ladder down to me because he loves us so much. He's coming to us with his presence and his love. We might not be aware of it, and you might not be aware of it in this moment, but he's coming to you, he is with you, and he loves you. That is what we see in this passage. And 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 so so in light of that, when, when Jacob has this encounter, he has this awakening. That's the second thing we see. Uh, and that is God's invitation for us to be awake to his presence and his love. But really the third thing, last point here, uh, and I'll have to be brief, but but really if you read the rest of the story, that in light of all this, in light of God's astounding love, in, in light of this awakening that, 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 that Jacob has, that really then the last thing we see is that he responds. He responds, and what you have to understand is when, when God comes to you, that, uh, and especially in a, in a special way like this that we read in the story, that it's not just so you can say, oh, well, that was a cool experience, and just kind of move on, just kind of business as usual. No, it's, it's because he's looking for a response. He wants to take you deeper in him. He's, he's doing something in your life, and, and, and thankfully, Jacob, Jacob understood that. And so here's what we read in verses 18 through 22. I'll read this briefly. So this is Jacob's response. God's come to him with his presence and his love. This is Jacob's response. It says, early the next morning, Jacob took this stone he had placed under his head. Okay, this is his pillow. <laughs> At one moment, he thought it was ordinary. He takes that and it set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. That's an act of consecration. He's setting it apart for God. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey and we're all on a journey... If he'll be with me and watch over me on this journey I am taking, I will, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And so, so Jacob, he, he, he responds to God's love. He responds to God's presence. He does that in two ways. And first of all, we see that he sets up a pillar to help him remember that God was in this place. And sometimes when you have a significant encounter, you might need to journal that or find some way of like just helping you remember that, wow, God came to me with his love. And I need to remember that, not forget, because when you go through a dark time and you go through a wilderness time, you can easily forget those moments. And so you might want to journal or have a way. I write things down. I've got like a whole encouragement file. I put stuff in there because sometimes I need to go there and remember, right? And so he, he makes a pillar uh, and, 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 uh, he, and also he changes is the name of this area, area to Bethel, which means house of God. And what we see happening here is that he's experienced what psychologists would call a reframing experience, a reframing moment, like his whole experience. He thought reality is one thing. He thought this area was just this insignificant middle of nowheresville. And then he finds, no, actually, this is the house of God. He just, everything in his life has been totally reframed through this encounter with God and his presence and his love. But the second thing he does is he makes a vow. And notice how he starts this vow. He says, if God will be with me. In other words, 
he's got faith now, but it's it's pretty weak faith, you know. If you'll be with me, if if you'll really do what you say you're going to do, <laughs> you know. But here's here's the great news. Even though it's weak faith, that is all it takes. Jesus says, even if you have like a mustard seed, the smallest seed, just a mustard seed of faith, that is all it takes. God can work with that. And so if you're here today, if you have doubts, if you have depression, if you have concern, if you have hangups, if you have disappointment with God, whatever that is, just take whatever that is and take a step toward God. He will meet you in that. That's all it takes. Just the smallest mustard seed of faith, that is all it takes. And that's what Jacob did. And so, so in faith, he comes to God. In his faith, again, it's kind of wobbly still, but he gets to this place where he makes a vow before God. It's kind of these solemn uh, words of his commitment to God. And we see this practice in many places in the Bible. We see it in the New Testament. I'm going to read to you a quote from a guy named Walter Brueggemann, who was a famous biblical scholar. And he says this about vows. He says, vows are not contracts or limited agreements, but yieldings that reorient life. So, so this is what's happening in this moment. Jacob is yielding in such a way that's reorienting his life toward God. And, and, and that's really uh, what, what has happened here. And then he says at the end of this, he's saying, God, if you, if you, if you really keep your word, then you, then the Lord will be my God. And you see, that's all God ever wanted. That is all he ever wanted, to be the Lord of his heart, to be the Lord of your heart and mine. That, that's all he ever wanted. And it took Jacob all these crazy twists and turns in his journey to finally get there. But in this moment, there's a breakthrough which comes, again, through God's presence uh, and love. And it leads to this breakthrough in Jacob's heart. And although there are more twists and turns in Jacob's story, this changes everything for him. This is a, just a defining moment. But really what I want you to hear is that this, this is for you and me, God's presence, God's love. This is for you. This is for me. This is for everyone uh, in this room. God's call, God's invitation is to be awakened to his love and his presence and for us as a response to make him the Lord of our hearts so that we can say with Jacob, the Lord will be my God. I'd like to invite the band to come back up. I'll just share. I'll try to make this as brief as I can. Um, I'll go ahead and share. So um, God's been doing just a deep work in my uh, heart, my life uh, in the season, and it, it's, um, I'll share just because it relates to the story. So, uh, Anzi and I, we, we had an encounter, I shared about this at the beginning of the series, we had an encounter where God just really came to us with his love in a powerful way in September, and it really just marked us with his love, and it stirred something in us, just, wow, we just, we want more of God, we want more of his love, we want more of his presence, we want more of his holiness, we want more of him, and that's kind of had this on on this journey, and what's interesting is in, in the month of September that uh, there are three different people, one of them a friend from this church, but two other people who I literally just met who gave me like a prophetic picture, and they also the exact same thing. They said, I see you standing at a doorway, and on the other side is these green pastures, uh, and, and one, and, 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 and it also said that, but there's just like some hesitation you have to go through the storm thinking, well, why would that be? If there's green pastures on the other side, why, why would that be? So like, God, what is this doorway? Because whatever that is, I want to walk through it. And I didn't know what that was. And, but over, over time, God's kind of starting to give me some insight and, and, uh, and he showed me some ways where I can, okay, I'm feeling like I'm kind of stuck, uh, in, in, in these ways. And, and so I want to really press in, uh, and, you know, Hebrews says, you know, run the race and, you know, throw off any hindrance or any, any sin, anything that would keep you from the life that God has for you. And so I'm like, okay, God. And, and, and in this also, God, uh, 
just gave me kind of a, a kind of a, just insight into my own heart that there was an extent to which I wasn't fully surrendered to him. And to this day, I don't know exactly what that was. Was it that I hadn't like given certain areas to him in the first place? I think I had, but sometimes over time, it's like, you know, let's say you're, if your heart is like a house and you're like, you say, Jesus, come on in. It's all yours. You know, me casa, su casa. But then sometimes over time, I'd say, well, this storage closet, I don't know. I'm able to lock that door. And uh, maybe this, this door, I, you know, I don't know. So I don't know if it's one of those things or if I'm just growing in awareness, but God showed me uh, that, that there was an extent to which there's part of my heart that I hadn't fully surrendered to him. I'm like, Lord, wow. And so I, I really felt like he was, he was really inviting me to give him my heart. And in, in, in a f- just full on, and uh, and uh, there's so many threads to this story. Um, but I said, I felt like I heard him say, "If you give me your heart, I'll give you my dream." And so um, I'll kind of fast forward. So i was just thinking, you know, like I don't know about you, but when I just have sort of a vague intention to live a fully surrendered life, it doesn't necessarily go too far. And so I'm like, God, I just feel like I need something to help me focus this intentionality I have. And so I had this idea. I'm, I feel like I'm going to make a holy vow to God. And I, I'd never heard of anyone doing that in the New Testament, or not in the New Testament, but kind of just in, in my, my life, in terms of someone I knew, aside from, you know, when you come to faith, the tradition is to make baptismal vows, or you get married, you make you know, you know, wedding vows or you're ordained, there's certain ordination vows. But in terms of just something kind of at will, just in your ordinary life, I'd never seen that, but I just came across a friend and he he was sharing about how he had actually taken this Nazarite vow, which is something you see in the Old Testament, but actually Paul did it in the New Testament and thinking, oh, you know what? I prayed about, I'm like, I'm going to do kind of a modern version of this. And so I, as as I did this, and just part of what this is expressing, it's not about the vow, I'm not sharing this to, to, to make it about that, but more just like this was a tool that helped me express and kind of focus my intention to fully surrender the Lord. And like Jay, Jacob said to make the Lord the God of my heart, my life. And, 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 and so I think it was a 10 or so days ago, I, I started this. I, I literally wrote it out and I made this holy vow to God. I committed for a certain amount of time uh, that I'm going to fast from certain things. Things aren't sin, but just things that I think are going to help make space in my life for more of him. And what's amazing is that, um, uh, although that was, took, it was a little bit challenging at first to kind of really come to that place. It was like, I realized, wait a second, this is the doorway. It's this going all in for God, just this complete and utter surrender. And it's now it's like, I feel like I've walked through that door and I'm just like experiencing these green pastures. And sometimes when we think of, you know, as, as we see Jacob here making God the Lord of his life, the Lord of his heart, we can see like, oh, that's scary. And if I do that, what does that mean? But we have to know is on, what's on the other side of that is green pastures. That is where the life of abundance is found. That is where the life of freedom is found. And so really that's the invitation today to make Jesus afresh, maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time, to make him the Lord of your heart and life. Let's pray. Lord, you are such a good God. You're such a good God. Lord, I pray for each person here, God, that you'd meet us wherever we are and that you would awaken us, God, to your presence and your love, God. Jesus, would you breathe on us afresh? Some of us, it's like we're barely hanging on, God. Would you breathe on us afresh? Would you fill us with hope? Would you fill us with your life? But Lord, would you awaken us, God, to your presence, to your love? God, we just confess that we need you today. And we love you, God. We just, we're so desperate for you. Would you meet us today in this place? Surely the Lord, that surely you are in this place, God.
Amen.